0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. We're somewhere in the middle of our summer series on ethics. Now, if you remember back in March, we kind of had a precursor to the series with a, a little mini-series on the ethics of abortion. And if you were here, you'll remember one of the reasons of that series was to prepare us as individual Christians and maybe as a church for exactly what happened this week, that Roe v. Wade was graciously overturned. But One of the big things, I'll cheer it, i love it. Very probably the greatest uh, political event in most of our lives, if you measure them. But one of the reasons we had that talk wasn't say, oh, we, we got it through the finish line. The point is, what that does, despite what the media says, Especially the British media. It does not outlaw abortion. It brings that fight if you will and that discussion most importantly for us To a more local level and so not only I know I am now going to actually pay attention to state elections for the first time ever Um, I've always thought of the federal, but more importantly while it's in the headlines your neighbors your friends your your co-workers are thinking about this and perhaps they're open to talking about this issue for the first time. Uh, and more importantly, I hope, if you go back, I implore you, go back and listen to that st- um, that st- those three weeks in March. Watch it. Hopefully I did a sufficient job at helping you prepare to not only deal with the discussions at a, a philosophical level, but to bring the gospel to bear. Because we, of course, have eternal matters at hand that are far more important, far weightier than at some political... Or judicial decision. And as a reminder, all of our Sunday schools and sermons, or all of our services are on Facebook Live. They're immediately available when that service is over. It's right there in Facebook. And then usually in the first couple days of the week, we also get the audio-only versions posted on our church website. So you can go back years and years and years and listen to some good teaching, some not so good teaching, but hopefully it's for your soul. So I do want to rejoice in that. I couldn't possibly let that go by. By ethics, we simply mean Christian behavior. And so we, I often, as well, in some of the books you see on ethics, are usually these juicy controversial topics like abortion or just war, which we've covered. Uh, but really at this core, ethics is just how then shall we live? And we in the PCA would fundamentally turn to, number one, the two greatest commandments, love God, love neighbor which are then delineated in more description in the Ten Commandments. So ultimately, we find all of our ethical, all of our ethics rooted somewhere in the Ten Commandments. And I know that sounds mundane, but I made the comment last week as I was teaching on gambling, it seemed I was almost maybe speaking to a small percentage of the crowd and a small percentage of their life, and I felt like the issues that were really bubbling under the surface that affect all of us a lot are just basic things about time and money management. And I know that sounds more mundane. You don't think of that as an ethical discussion, but it really is. And it's an important one. And so the question I want to ask is, I'm going to focus on money management today, although much of it will apply to, to um, time. How should a Christian uniquely use their money? So we talked, maybe gambling would be one way of making money. I'm not saying you should. Now, so obviously I I wanna look at that again a little bit about how we kind of make money, the the career pursuits we make, but then on the other side, however we get money, um, how then do we use that money, and in a unique way? Does the Bible tell us anything that that as we live in our modern Western culture, very rich country, by any standards, um, how then are we to, are we just supposed to be the best at using the tried and true, you know, Management techniques of efficiency and productivity and we just want to be diligent at that or is there also a unique way? To be a Christian in this type of a culture so last week we looked at uh, gambling I Didn't find any explicit or even very strong implicit commands But I thought what was really underlying a lot of that was how much do you trust God? Not only in his biblical commands for how to live your life but how in his providence to care for you and shepherd you through your daily lives And to provide for you versus some personification of something called luck. We'll continue to talk about godly labor and stewardship. If you find Christian freedom in something like gambling or anything else, that comes with a lot of responsibility of how to love your brother, how to love your neighbor, how to conduct yourselves rightly with that freedom. And of course we always want to look at heart motives. And then we talked about being wise about all that we understand about addiction about calculating risk, the effects of gambling on society, and then proximate culpability, how close can I get, when am I really responsible if I work at a casino or live in a city that supports the casino industry and enjoys the benefits of the casino industry, those types of things. So as we go forward, I think I'm gonna bring at least these three things that are in green into today's discussion and hopefully go a little further. Guy, would you mind opening us up in prayer? Amen. And I won't have a lot of the verse references on the slides, but they are on the handout that's in the back, and there's some here, and they'll be there available in the PowerPoint. And near the end, I'll need to get a microphone from you guys, if you don't mind. All right, so this is kind of what I left off with last week, and I gave you one and a half minutes, and of course we never I was trying to take the whole ethics of gambling to a broader scope, and I didn't feel like we had much time, which is why I decided to return to it today. How can investing be a sin? How can entertainment or leisure be a sin in general? So forget a a narrow focus of gambling and go further. And So I'm going to basically break those questions out and further, and we will have time for discussion today. So this is where I sat down, like I have been, looking at biblical revelation and general revelation. So Bible, we know, is going to talk about labor and stewardship, heart motives, very important issue of contentment, some great Puritan works on contentment the whole idea of saving and giving as being biblical godly values, and then warnings about the rich and teachings about the poor. And then on the other side, just in our general revelation that we have human wisdom that has come to really tell us what is the best, most effective way of managing your money and your time. There's, for instance, there's things like recommended targets, 25% of your income, no more than that should be spent on your home, 15% savings or you know, what kind of car, some, something there's, there's good human wisdom out there that helps us keep ourselves in check on what is too much. What are, what are reasonable targets? And then just understanding the market, and the market is just a, a broad word for everything. There's discussions all the time about is it best to rent or buy, or savings plans and types of investments. So there's, there are details on the right side there that the Bible isn't going to address very specifically, but when we hear being wise and being careful and not being hasty, a lot of that wisdom we can help um, form our decisions. So first thing, let to just look at godly steward, and steward. We talked about the creation mandate. So in Genesis, we see that God puts man in the garden, and he says you are to work the garden, and, and it's gonna be a joy and a delight. And so we take that as, as somewhat of a universal application to all of us. Adam is representing all of us. We are, to, our, our job in this world, in this garden, if, as it were, is to, to tend the garden, to beautify it, to cultivate it. Eventually we see later in Genesis cities being built and, and communities and, and the, Pro, the Protestant Reformation was great about saying, it's not the clergy who are doing God's work only, you know, the, the milkmaid and, and the, the person who makes shoes and every labor, every honest pursuit of labor is part of God's calling on our lives. And we're, we're to find great joy in it. We're to, we're to find a great calling uh, in it and satisfaction. And of course, the fall, the sin came into the world and has ruined the joy in that pursuit, but it's still a godly pursuit. We talked about hasty gain. Wealthy gained hasti- wealth gained hastily would dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it, Proverbs 13. So that was the part of the idea of gambling is the, the real pursuit of money isn't this get-rich-quick schemes, and it doesn't have to be gambling, right? It could be any of these get-rich-quick schemes that you see on, on telemarketing or you, you've heard your buddy be successful at And The biblical pursuit isn't that. The, it, some of those things might not be bad in themselves, but, but our heart motive and our creation mandate is to work steadily, little by little, not trying to grab a lot, just continuing to progress in life. So going beyond last week, I I, I came up with four categories that the Bible speaks to. I put them in a quick order. I think this order is potentially, you know, you could challenge it. I I could see why you would in certain points, but I'm just gonna throw it out there for the sake of discussion. First thing I think we should be doing in our pursuit of money, one of our first godly goals would just to be self-sufficient. I feel like I... Sorry, I'm a little out of order here. There we go. 2 Thessalonians 3 tells us, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So it's a godly pursuit to earn your own living. You don't want to be a burden to others. Now, I don't want to keep a bunch of guilt on people who need help at times, but our desire ought to be, as God has given us the opportunity and the ability, the the hope is that we could care for ourselves. That should not shame you from asking for help when you need it. The second thing would be, whatever your concept of tithing and giving is, We obviously have very specific tithing laws in the Old Testament, but even in 1 Corinthians, Paul expects them to be meeting on the first day of the week, i.e. Sunday, not Saturday anymore, and he expects a contribution to come. In accordance with your ability, he expects giving to continue. And then number three, give extra to those in need. We read Ephesians 4 last week. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, part of your motivation of not snoozing the alarm every morning and getting up is you might have enough. You might have a position to just live really radically and go live in a hut somewhere and survive. But that's not necessarily a godly pursuit. You were to get up and labor so you would have extra above and beyond what you need, above and beyond what you've given to the church and to those in need, or, yeah, to our church giving to personally, individually give to those in need. That ought to, that ought to motivate us in the mornings or, or in the evenings, whenever you work, right? That's part of the reason we don't necessarily early retire if we can. We want to continue to be a blessing to others, that God is blessing them through us. And then there's stuff in the Bible about saving and preparing for the future. Proverbs 20 a one small example. The slugger does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. Right in an agricultural context, you've got to plan all year, and I know some of you probably live on um, commission. Right, you don't have a steady income, so you've got to be really smart. I I would find that really hard. I've never been in that position. Like when you have a nice windfall, you've got to be careful not to just go spend it because you might not have that coming in in a few years. Right, so then the question might be, how far do we extend it? All right, then we looked at heart motives. The, the amount of verses that talk about greed, envy, covetous, love of money is so pervasive. You are a fool. <laughs> if you come to some theoretical position on how to live your life in accord with money and time, and you don't take, take to heart the, the dangers, the, the sin that is still in you, to, to, to arrogantly think you're above, you're, you're, you're the strong brother above it all, that you would never be tempted by these things. You're a fool to think that. It, it, is, it is always lurking there, and it, it's such a, a warning given to us in Scripture. We can't come up with some one theoretical way of, of living our lives and spending our money. We've got to know that we are always gonna be prone to such things as greed, envy, covetousness, laziness. I'll just read one verse here, First Timothy 6. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, a very basic question to ask yourselves, to maybe in counsel with one on one, maybe someone's coming to you and saying, I got this great job opportunity, but it means leaving, leaving a church I know, a community I know. I don't know what to do. This would be better for my family. One question you could ask, a very biblical question, is why? Why are you doing it? What is your desire? And maybe you even get to the question, is your desire to be rich? First Timothy says, that's a sin. Now, how do we take that? I don't think anyone in this room is guiltless in the desire to be rich, right, if we're very honest. So what does he mean by that? Is you could go further, right? And this is where counseling can be so good. A good counselor is good at asking these probing questions to get to your heart motives. Why? Why do you desire to be rich? Is, is your money or your freedom maybe an early retirement? What's the point of that? I wanna commend the Kellys who, who've retired recently and have been very persistent at turning, they're, they're nearing the end of raising children, right? And retired from their jobs. They're turning their efforts now into more counseling, running a prayer meeting, giving service to the church and the community. Is, is that your heart? Is that really your heart? Now, take note of all those verses that say, that would be easy to say, I want to be early retired because I want to go work in a volunteer organization that now doesn't have to hire somebody. I mean, praise God if that's your desire. <laughs> but check yourself. Let other people come in and check you, right? None of that is wrong. Retiring is not wrong, right? A retirement mentality, John Piper would say, would be completely wrong. You live your, you you gain all these possessions so you can retire and collect seashells. That's godless. Just, just floating through life. Remember the creation mandate. Why are we here? Why are we still on Earth today? We're still cultivating this garden. We're still giving to those in need. We're still evangelizing, seeking the lost. So if your time and resources are gonna be used for that, amen, right? You can go for it. But that's, do you desire to be rich? And that's an an honest question we really need to ask ourselves. By the way, you can be poor (laughs) and be guilty of this. The poor can be just as guilty as the rich in desiring to be rich. So some hermeneutics, that just means how you interpret the Bible. So before we get into the very specific application type of questions, you always wanna have a firm foundation. So one of the things that might guide how you interpret the Bible will be how does the Old Testament apply? And we've talked about this a lot. Two, Two examples. So when Moses in the law to Israel instructs on tithing, do those commandments apply to us? So when I go try to figure out what percentage I give and save and all of that, do I have a nice, simple, Percentage at ten percent. It will go back to how you view exactly how the old covenant law, right? Tithing isn't in the Ten Commandments, so is it moral? And yet Jesus seems to kind of assume giving when it comes to Sermon on the Mount. We we have ver- New Testament verses about tithing. So again, you need to work out your hermeneutics at a general level, and then you, you bring them to bear on a subject like tithing. If you do believe in tithing, what does that mean? Is it 10% of your gross income or your net income? Is that before or after taxes? If you believe that part of the reason of the Old Testament having giving the tithe was that money was then to be used for like social welfare type things, you could say, well, my taxes are already taken out to do that, so why should I dip in even more? That's already being done in that way. Of course, then I'm going to come back to your heart. What are you thinking? Those are, some of those are very fair questions. What about Proverbs? How do we understand the book of Proverbs? It makes statements um, like Proverbs 22, be not one of those who give pledges who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your debt bed be taken from under you? So a very famous Christian guy, who's the guy, Dave? Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, can't believe it, I don't remember. Dave Ramsey, which a lot of us have used, I have used, I found very helpful. He, he would see these as, as much more universal, like it is wrong to be in debt. And so your whole, your whole approach to management would be at every level to, to be in debt. He, he would put owning a home in a different category, but still ideally wrong. Ideally, you would avoid that. I'm not advocating or going against that. It's, it's, it's a great consideration. I, I'm glad we have his voice to read and consider. But he, he turns to a verse like Proverbs and says, look, God tells me not to be in debt. And by the way, he would say, don't lend either then. You're making someone else be in debt to you by lending money. It's a good question to ask. And you want to be honest about it. You don't drive your answer that you want. You know, faithfully study the Bible. What about New Testament narratives? So we see that Jesus was poor. Matthew 8, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is Jesus saying, Follow me and don't have a place to lay your head? Is that what Jesus is trying to communicate? Or in Acts 2, the the great communism verse, right? The early church sold all their possessions and brought it back and they shared among themselves what they had, right? Is that an example for us to follow today? What about New Testament parables? I brought up Matthew 25 last week. Jesus is clearly teaching a spiritual, something spiritual, but he's using things like saving versus investing money, right? you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was with my own interests. So he judges the one who failed to invest Jesus, the, the king's money. So the question is, is, how do you apply that? We know that his ultimate aim is a spiritual principle, so do we go too far trying to extract from that money principles? As some of these Christian money guys do. And then we have general principles about the rich and the poor. Now I covered this in quite detail in two or three classes, 2019 in the social justice. We talked about what does it mean to be the poor or the rich. So I would encourage you to go back and listen. To that we we talked a lot, but many verses in the Bible it seems like the Bible kind of equates rich and evil. Certainly verses that sound like that. James two, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So is James talking to a particular situation where, in their situation, it was a poor church and the rich people were evil? Or is there some link, however loose, between being rich and gaining power and because of the, the sin of our hearts that we tend to be oppressors? Is income equality a problem or just bare based poverty? As long as everyone's above the poverty level, however we define that, is income equality not our palm? Or does that necessarily begin power imbalances, which then oppress the weak? You can go back to that study. Should we prioritize the poorest in the world, which would mean zero people in our country, essentially? Or is it, is it in our community? When we talk about the poor, we wanna meet the poor that are relatively close to us, people we see and touch even though that poor person is three times richer than someone in Africa? Those are good questions to be asking. We're not gonna talk about them today. Okay, so I wanna get into the questions. So with all that background, do I have a mic? Could I get a mic? Is it okay to borrow or lend? Is it okay to be in debt? In Exodus 22, Moses said, "Don't charge your brother any interest. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him." Right? If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is holy. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So, again, how do we apply the Old Testament law? Are we to not charge our brother? Would it be wrong to loan money to a brother? Or if they're in need, should we just give it? Proverbs 22 I read, but Proverbs 20 seems to almost command you. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger. Or something going on there between your brother a Jew or a stranger a Gentile. I don't know. Romans 13. Did it again. (laughs) it's not touch screen I'll go to mine Uh, owe no one anything except the continuing debt to love one another for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law so again is that a New Testament parallel to the old you're not to be in debt you should owe no no one anything except to love and then so we can answer any of those specifically or the the awful rent versus buy. Any thoughts so far to the question of being in debt in general or renting and buying? And it, Westminster doesn't cover this, so you can have whatever position you want. Any thoughts? I know some of you had some pretty passionate discussions over whiskey. You willing to bring it in here? Tim.
1: Just a caution on using the book of Proverbs like the Ten Commandments. Uh, Proverbs is wisdom literature, it's its own genre, and a lot of the Proverbs weren't necessarily coming out of Israel, they're from everywhere in the book of Proverbs. And so as a result of that, the most important question to ask when reading a proverb is in what sense is this true? Uh, You always have to ask that question. And so I find People coming down hard and fast on Proverbs as a basis for for things needs to be thought through. Uh, and, and I think any Old Testament scholar would tell you the same thing.
0: Well, so what does the genre wisdom mean? What do you mean by that term?
1: Wisdom literature is not narrative. It's not history. It's not, I'm telling you what it's not. It's not prophetic, it's not a gospel genre. It's not it's left, not, it's not law. It's a different kind of literature which requires one to ask questions. For example, there's a way that seems right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. Is that always true in every case? What if the man uh, is thinking uh, righteously and makes a decision? Well, of course it's not there. So you have to you have to ask those questions. And I just get a little nervous uh, at taking a proverb at the same level. I would take a 10 command
0: and you can see why if you're trying to get to a, a, a Specific issue like is it okay being debt? You need really need a foundation of Bible study my Old Testament scholar Brother's gonna be here next month and he would he would amen that he he encounters that a lot of understanding wisdom literature
1: right. Yeah, it doesn't make it very popular especially with the money guys yeah. But the money guys are always rich. I wonder why.
0: But, you, but you, you did say something. You do need to ask the question, where does that apply? So the, the problem still tells us something. So now we need to do the study to understand what that might be.
2: Well, I think using that word debt is rather simplistic. Okay. I mean, and I'm, I'm having been a trader uh, on the NYMEX and such you have words like long and short if i'm short that means i don't have what i want so if i don't have a house i'm in debt and i can rent or buy i'm in i'm in debt either way
0: cuz you need to I don't have
2: groceries i'm in debt I, do, I need groceries so i don't know if the way we're using the word debt here is very clarifying. And
0: uh, oh, no, you know, it.
2: I, it's so what, what there's a cost benefit analysis that one would do to say, well, should I buy a house? Will that do me better in the long run? Or do I think it's wiser to rent? I mean, there's there's a lot of so factors let, involved let's so bring up a
0: couple examples. Where where would debt be a problem and enslaving um, and where might it be a wise? Let's just have a couple examples. Let's well, get if, real bare bones.
2: Let's say you have champagne tastes and beer money. <laughs> You're gonna... What about the
0: champagne and beers? <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're gonna get in, te- in trouble, you know? I mean, I, w- I would love to have a Ferrari, but I don't think I would really ever want to take it to be serviced. I don't think I could afford it. So uh, So it's
0: it's a matter of and that's where some of the human wisdom might help us, what what percentages what what level percentage of your income is wise and reasonable well, yeah, and doesn't yeah. enslave you. You have a likelihood of paying that back type of thing. Well and
2: then you even get into lower les- levels of granularity. Is it good to buy the best? I've learned over the years, buying tools, it is man, I'm gonna buy the best thing I can afford. Otherwise, I'm going to buy it five times. So I mean, there's just you're yeah, we've known
0: people who would always get something used because it's a prudent thing to do, and be replacing it every year or two. You do wonder. Completely good, godly motives, but yeah. And yeah,
2: I mean, it's so th- I don't know that uh, we're making much traction. Any here,
0: any counterpoints? Well, it so it just boils down to being sensible. So prioritizing things you have to have versus things you can do without and being sensible. Always, always you think it's to buy in
1: or buy in but budget you yeah, that's are forced
0: your circumstances to get the lesser Yeah, so even if it might be right to buy long-term, if your budget doesn't allow that, you've gotta be reasonable yeah. and continue in your budget. Josh, oh, sorry, go ahead.
3: So one way of extending that wisdom is going back to a heart motivation and saying what cost, not only to myself but to others. Does it mean for society or for my neighbor right. if I just – do lifestyle inflation buy the best, the biggest house, though I do not need it, now can I not tithe? Now can I not give generously from my heart? Right, and that's why I
0: had those orders. So yeah, you could, you could be, you could check the box on self-sufficiency and still buy the Lamborghini. But what are you doing to those other responsibilities? All right, one more on this, so we'll keep. We'll um, on.
3: I, I was just gonna comment, I think that the one of the, re, the kind of point of these verses is enslavement right being enslaved to something and so i mean i've known lots of poor people and lots of rich people that are enslaved to money i know people that have no debt that are enslaved to money because of the the idea the power that it holds over them and so i think part of it is looking at the heart motives and also just like, what's the point of that verse? Um, you know, uh, I'm reminded, is it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where it says, let nothing have mastery over you? Like, just the idea that the money can have that role in our life very easily, and it can be disconnected from whether or not you're in debt, um, or, or uh, whether, you know, you have debt or not, for instance. Um, but those verses are there because of that point and also the cautionary principles yeah. that are laid out, and they're very contextual. So yep. we have to look at those principles and then apply them you know, to our lives.
0: Amen. All right, let's move on just for sake of time. All right, I think it's a big discussion. It's probably the one that really drove me thinking of the study. Is your priority really to give or to save? So that was like my number three and four in my list. This is a tough one, I think. So you can either, you have enough, you're self-sufficient, you've given, you've been a cheerful giver to the church, way above the tithe, that's not a question, and now what? Now do I, I I have extra, do I give to those in need? Or am I saving and preparing for the future? So let me just juxtapose those a little bit uh, from the scriptures. So lots of verses about storing up treasures in heaven, not storing up treasures on earth. And so the idea of storing up and having more than you need, depending on how, how long you take that or you know, how far you, you push with that. Um, well, there's so many verses. Let me choose one here. Galatians 5, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming up upon you. you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. And I imagine we could parse that and come out with, well, that's not so universal because look at, we see where his heart is driven, he has an obligation as an employer, fine. But certainly there's got to be something there that continues to apply for us. We have the ability to give to others, but instead we're storing up treasures. It's that picture of gold and silver literally stacking up and becoming corroded. Think of the Scrooge in some of those episodes. Um, The Bible even goes so far in some places to say or at least imply selling possessions. It's, it's not only giving, but it's, it, in order to give, it'd be sell what you already have. That's even more radical. Luke 12, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail. Where no thief approaches, and moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, Matthew 12, that's the widow's mite, right? He, he, Jesus commends this woman. The rich people come. They give lots of money. A widow comes with one coin, puts it in. She's given more than all these. Because everything she has, she sold to give that widow's money. Will, now you're like really challenging her. Hey, widow, I told you you should be self-sufficient first. Like, don't worry about this at this point. But Je- Jesus doesn't parse it out. He doesn't equivocate it at all. He just, he just says it. She's given more. She's sold our possessions. Is, what is he telling us? Is he telling us to sell all of our possessions? Don't, I wouldn't just scoff at that immediately. Let, let that sink in and ask what God is trying to tell us through verses like that. And then there are other verses like about saving and preparing for the future, that that's a godly thing. So if you're able to save and prepare for the future, you clearly have enough that you don't need today that you could give to others. So we have verses that commend us there. Go to the Antosluggard, sluggard, right? We talked about Proverbs 20, saving for the autumn. Uh, we read this last week, Acts 20. I coveted no one silver or gold or pell. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. Um, so Paul worked for himself even though he could have taken from them. So in one sense, you could say, well, my base level was self-sufficiency, right? So really just saving for the future means I'm, I'm trying to remain self-sufficient in the future, right? That would be one argument. And then there's another aspect of prioritizing your family over the church and over others, others in society, right? We have, we have priorities. First Timothy five, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Command these things well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we have some biblical principle there about caring not only for yourself, self sufficiency in a sense would extend um, beyond to your own family. So maybe you start there with your family, um, and maybe you never get to the beggar on the street. I don't know. I don't know. Those are the questions I have. Any thoughts there? you have extra, you have above and beyond your needs today. Is it an act of faith to say, I don't know where my money's going to come tomorrow, but I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to give the rest of my money to Walt's ministry? He said, yes, right? I'm going I'm to give to those in need, and I'm just going to trust God for tomorrow. Or is it more godly to say, I would like to give it. I, I'll check my heart motive. I'm not saying no for a bad reason, but I want to make sure that I can pro- provide for myself and my, my children, my family tomorrow. Any thoughts on that? How do you wrestle with that? Without gambling.
4: Yeah, so uh, for me, I think of stewardship. Um, Because as a Christian, I I mean, for me, I want to give as much as I can. In my early life as a Christian, like, I gave a lot, and and, and I lived poorly, and I realized, well, how how am I gonna take care of a family if I can barely take care of myself, you know? And um, I had to start thinking of, uh, like, the shrewd uh, uh, servant and and being, you know, how can I I balance this equation here? And I think it's like a less wise, more wise kind of, like, spectrum that I work with. So, um, you know, when I look at Uh, you know back in 2015 I started to study money and like what is money because I don't ever remember learning what money is and there's this whole you know rabbit hole you can go down about the fiat system Keynesian economics all this stuff and now you know fast forward to 2022 we had all this stuff happen in 2020 with the Economics and everyone's talking about inflation now, and it's like, oh, all we need is like a second print of the economy being a downward turn, and we're in a recession. Well, there's already people talking about recession, so as a steward of what we've been given, um, you know, we I was starting to see some of these things early on, and so we sold our house a while ago just because we were starting to get prepared for this kind of timing, and so other people they might not have that kind of like foresight, they might not have that kind of interest, they might not have that kind of like perspective early on. And so I think this is like one of those areas where like Christian liberty really comes in, it's like whatever the Lord has blessed you with as far as like wisdom or insight into certain things and being able to prepare for your family because ultimately we wanna be able to like, we wanna be able to provide for our kids and have all these things going on because of where we are in our life at this time. And we want to be able to give abundantly when we can. And uh, when we pray every night, like we, we pray that the Lord would give us eyes and ears to see and hear the abundance that's already in our life so that we, we can give when, when the opportunity's there. So, um, again, it becomes that spectrum of less wise, more wise stewardship. And so, you know, for us we prepare it in a very different way than some people that we know and we have all these varying degrees of understanding of what's going on and I think again it it's not cut and dry when it comes to like how you do things like this it's about stewardship and how serious you take that kind of stewardship and again what kind of skills and ideas that maybe the Lord's already blessed you with or what he's continuing to show you so there's no real like straight line when it comes to you know, how do you prepare versus like how much you give right now? It's like you give when you can, you give yep. as much as you can.
0: So as was interesting in your story, you went from kind of an I, how you lived, and then a we when you got married. I highly encourage. Th- this is an important thing, I think, for marital counseling, right? Or if you didn't do it before you were married, this is something that a husband and wife probably need to come to some kind of agreement on, right? How you're going to settle these, because you could easily see. A different priority right they put might put my number three and four in a different order there and you don't want to have strife in your marriage and so at some point you probably want to come to some at least soft agreement of how you're gonna approach these things because if the husband is like I'm this giving soul I, I could see this as the probably the stereotype the husband says, like, yeah we're good I'll, I'll just work harder next time give up give, give give and the wife's gonna feel really insecure especially if she's a stay-at-home mom kind of thing and so or whatever the scenario is um, be wise and talk through those things and like you said, we didn't really your parents might not have taught you The school might not have taught you this and so it's a good thing to think about Did I see another? Ann? A couple minutes
5: left uh, First of all, thank you for your teaching this morning. Um, I just Trying to apply the scripture in my own life I have to think back and remind myself of both God's sovereignty and also uh, his grace so God is sovereign over everything um, He uh, gave me my parents who taught me certain financial principles He gave me the particular job that I have in my life. He gave me uh, my my health and how that impacts uh, certain demands on my money um, and everything that I have is, is because of, of grace um, and So even though he's in control of everything. I'm still responsible for how I use my money um, and so uh, we have to, like I think it says in Proverbs, um, to, uh, as you mentioned, stewardship, so taking account of everything that you have, including not only your money, but your skills, um, your potential for earning, um, and then using, it, using that account to do both of these things, to save responsibly for your own family, um, including parents, because we want to follow the implicit Commands within the the fourth commandment, so if we have if we know that our parents are uh, aging or that they're they have medical problems, we need to you know save more to take care of them um, but one thing that, again that I always try to think back of is what did Jesus do for me uh, so I think it was it was either Tim Keller or he was quoting someone who said that Jesus didn't tithe his blood on the cross so if I'm Hmm. if I'm meeting if I'm giving to the church and I'm Taking care of my family and I have extra left over uh, Again like everyone keeps saying we need to examine our hearts and if if we're giving more if more is more than 10% Then I need to give as much as I can out of gratitude for what Christ gave for me
0: All right, so if you look at the handout, we're out of time. Shoot, I really want to talk about investments in crypto. Um, we got some verses in there you can go to, but we've kind of hit on this. The next question was, how much money should I spend on me, right? How much? I, I've moved up the ladder in the types of homes I have, the amount I'm willing to spend on food and drink, um, on tipping. Like, I've... Is that right? Should I just stay at that low level? Clearly I survived at that lower level? Should I just stay there and accumulate more for others? Or is, or is it okay to go that way? Food, clothes, home, cars eating out and entertainment, vacations. What is the right thing? Uh, the other one was, does it matter where and how I invest? How aggressive and speculative should I be? At what point is that just gambling? Or gambling's okay, so that's okay to gamble, right? Those are the kind of questions. I still don't understand crypto, so someone' have to explain it to me. Should I only invest in companies with biblical values? Or if I kind of just pay a guy to take care of my money, please go make as much money as I can for me, which will help you. And do I not care where that guy is investing it? Is that okay? I Am mean, still in the market, right? Somehow in the creation mandate's being filled, but, or should I be more specific and more involved in my giving? And then an application, so let me just close with this. Number 1, Matthew 6, trust God for your physical needs. God doesn't just promise to take care of our spiritual needs. He doesn't. He promises very specifically, don't worry about where you will eat, what you will wear. Right? God knows you need them and he'll take care of you. He will provide them. That's a promise given to us in Matthew 6. Be content, obviously Philippians 4. Be content. That goes back to your heart motives. Whatever God gives you, throws at you, wherever season of life in, Paul found now it wasn't natural Did come to immediately he he had to discover the secret of being content in any every situation in abundance and need i can do all things through christ who strengthens me so ultimately it's always going to be christ it's always the grace of god your 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 material possessions will never satisfy ever they'll never provide you satisfaction for your soul ever it's a fool's errand to chase after that as your means of security, and I'm guilty of it too. Be a cheerful, generous giver. Wherever you stand on the position of tithing, be a cheerful, generous giver. And then I think there's some good things about feeling your giving. The widow's might. Um, David, talked about, I will not offer to God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Right, the, whatever we give, whatever that cheerful give level is, we, I would submit, we ought to feel that. It shouldn't just be some unknown row on your balance sheet. We, you ought to be able to see, wow, if I wasn't given to the church, I could buy that Ferrari. No, hopefully your heart isn't like, man, why would I give to this church? Hopefully it's like, yeah, I do feel that. I, do, I, I don't keep up with the Joneses. I do live at a lower level than my workmates who make the same as me. And to glory to God that I do that because I want to serve others. And I'm not here for myself. I'm not here to pick up seashells. I'm here for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our father this is a huge topic We could do a whole series on this and maybe we will one day we we pray that we would be people of the book that we wouldn't just force the bible to to say what we want it to say so that we can be justified we pray that you have our whole hearts our whole pocketbooks as it were our our time and our money would be yours and we it's also a bit frustrating father that you have not given us of very strict legalistic rules that we could simply go through and and check off. You you cause us to wrestle with you, to wrestle with your calling, to to not be sure. So we pray that that great freedom that that brings and yet great responsibility we would bring to Jesus. We would bring to the cross. We know we have wrong heart motives. We know that. So we pray that you would continue to work in us uh, through the gospel. Through our weekly meeting here, through fellowship, through the hearing of your word, the singing, through the sacraments, we pray that our hearts that, uh, would be enjoined to, to yours and that your will would become our will. We, we, we don't want to just say that uh, as a simple prayer. We want it to be true and to mean it. Help us to give up our covetousness, our desire to be rich, um, our, our thought that you owe us something that we ought to be at a certain place by now in life. We pray that you would fashion us in that that, that way, we would be unique among our neighbors. They would see something different in us, that we aren't so attached to these things. If we live in a poor neighborhood or a rich neighborhood, may that be true of us. And now, Father, we look forward to worshiping with your people. Thank you for the Lord's Day, that you would go with us. And, And thank you again for this ruling at the Supreme Court. We pray that we would be equipped now with ambassadors of the gospel, to go and preach that gospel and share it faithfully to our neighbor, even through this discussion. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.